All right, this week I am here with Jamie and Leslie Collard. Uh, we, we were just chatting here a little bit before the interview, just a little bit about their background and story. Uh, I believe that they've got the, a story that is going to be valuable to a lot of people. Maybe what I'll do is start off and, and ask, because this, this is more recent, your real estate investing uh, careers have been more recent. In, in just a couple of years, you've built up quite a bit. What I'd like to ask you is, where, where did you get the idea of investing in real estate? Uh, so uh, when we started investing in real estate, it was really something that I grew up with. So my dad was a contractor um, and uh, basically did uh, flipping our personal home. So he would buy the worst property on good streets, go in, fix it up. And then a couple of years later, we would move to a new location. And then uh, so it's it's been part of my whole childhood. Um, and then when Jamie and I uh, first got together about uh, 10 years ago, we started to fix up the house that we lived in. Yep, and we fixed it all up. We um, got it to where we liked it. Um, and then I wanted to start an automotive business. I was working for somebody else at the time, wanted to start my own business. So we wanted to do it on a property where we live. The zoning didn't work where we were at at that point, even though we did have a nice shop. So we ended up having to sell our property to buy to a buy a new place that you know had the proper zoning, so we could start my automotive shop. So we ended up selling that property, and we were kind of blown away with how much money we kind of made off of it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and then of course we started to watch um, Scott McGillivray on TV, uh, Income Property, and uh, started saying we can do this. So we went to uh, do some education on it, and here we are, two and a half yeah. years later. When she says some education, we've done a lot of yeah, education. Yeah, we've done a lot of education. Okay. And this, this is a really important point. So I'm going to ask you a personal question. I've often shared with people, I've spent over $150,000 in my own education when it comes to finances and, and, and mindset and coaching and all that kind of stuff. How much have you guys spent on yourselves? Uh, about 70000 in the last uh, two years. So, uh, or three years, I guess, 70000 um, We're not shy, though, about it. Uh, right now, we spend uh, about 2000 a month in education. So, and uh, we get tons of value out of that still. Yeah, we really found that the coaching or training really ups your game. I mean, um, never had it with the automotive shop till recently, but we I decided let's get a coach and see if we can take it to the next level. And sure enough, it works, right? Like you yeah. find the right people to help you and, and you can just change your life. Yeah, and we're part of mastermind group that we put every month. We have a coach for our uh, commercial multifamily properties that we meet with once a week. So uh, we love education, love yeah. it. Okay, so this is something that I haven't gotten into with a lot of people, and yet it's such an important point. I mean, I'm, I'm a coach, so obviously I'm gonna preach education, right? But legitimately, I, I see that the difference that it's made in my own life. You, you said, Jamie, that you, you didn't have coaching for your automotive shop, and now you do. What, what changed there? Um, so we were, we just saw the coaching we took for the real estate business, right? And, you know, it was really helping the real estate business and we were growing a whole lot and everything. The automotive shop was just kind of sitting stale, I guess, just, you know, just doing the same thing. It was doing fine, but there was so much more potential to have, right? So just bringing on somebody, a third party person to, you know, bounce mm -hmm. ideas off of and, and push us to do a little more. Yeah. And it just, you know, now I'm hiring more people and you know, it's just worked great. Working on your business rather than in your business kind of thing. That's yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. yeah, holding us accountable to 
um, have equal goals for the mechanic shop as we do the real estate and allowing us to have these businesses anywhere we want in the world. Mm. So we can be wherever and still run these businesses now. Yeah. yeah. Which is the hallmark of owning a business rather than owning a job, right? Uh, okay, so there, there's so many places we could go here. I want to ask you so many questions. Um, in, in, in a couple of years, you've built up a significant real estate portfolio. Tell, tell everyone, how, how, many, how many doors do you own right now? Uh, so right now, as of this podcast, we own uh, 61 doors. Um, next week, we will own uh, 73 doors. And we bought our first single family home in uh, February of 2017. Okay. So it, it really kind of amped up uh, quickly using the Burr strategy, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, through some joint ventures and uh, after about eight properties that we had um, in our personal names or joint ventures, we really decided just to take the leap into uh, apartment buildings Mm -hmm. So I'm going to I'm going to break this down for everyone because I don't think people in the investing world know what Burr means. It, it means buy, rehab, refinance, and then re-rent out, right? Um, so maybe maybe explain that because you you said you started with with flipping and thinking about flipping, and you've moved into this buy and hold strategy. W what does that mean? Why do it? Why is it important to you guys? How do, how does it make a difference? Yeah, sure. So we originally thought when we got into the real estate that we would just do flips, right? make some money, yeah. do the flips. Um, we ended up going to uh, Keyspire, which is owned by Scott McGilvery. We took a whole bunch of training with them and they taught us for long-term wealth, you're better off to buy the property and hold it, right? Like long-term, you're gonna mm -hmm. make a whole lot more money. Um, so it kind of changed our whole idea, right? We went there thinking we're gonna flip and we come out of there thinking, okay, let's buy as many as we can. I mean, rather than selling it after we fix them up, we just refinance it. So it's it is kind of the same strategy, but we get to hold on to it and collect rents every month, right? So now we're we, we've built it up yep. quite a bit since then. Yeah, and I think that we're we're lucky enough to live in uh, southwestern Ontario, where the value of uh, properties is increasing at such a significant rate right now. So for us to look at the the Burr strategy, the um, we're a little bit different than other investors, where they say to refinance every five years. We don't refinance every five years. As long as the rents will cover uh, the the mortgages, we actually refinance every two to three years because we are pulling that money out and we're reinvesting that money in uh, either private lending or other properties. And um, that's where you really, really start to build the wealth and the financial freedom really quickly. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to ask a question that I'm guessing is on some people's minds. I get asked this every once in a while, and that is, what if the market drops? What would you do in a situation where the market drops? We would buy every property we could. <laughs> so we are excited for this market to finally drop. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we. That's one of the, the biggest things that everybody says when you when they heard that we were getting into real estate was, oh, you know, this is not a good time. The market's going to drop. The bubble's going to burst. We heard all of these things and uh, we just kind of laughed it off because we knew that, uh, you know, and what well, we thought in about 10 years, people are going to be, you know, regretting saying those things to us. And I mean, within a year and a half, people were regretting saying those things to us. So. 
Um, we're now at a point where really if the market drops, we have enough passive income and we have enough money that we can just start buying a lot of properties. Yeah. And it doesn't affect the rents. Usually when the, actually, the market the drops, a lot of times rents actually go up because people yeah. lose houses and there's more renters than, uh, than people owning houses. So a lot of times it's actually better for our rent to go up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's break that down for people again. So it, it, I think when it comes to real estate, it, it's a really unique um, realm of investing in that when the markets drop, people lose their homes, banks yes. foreclose, lots of things are going, people are losing jobs, whatever it is. And so what actually happens in the rental market is, is people move from owners to renters and rents, rents often can actually go up um, or remain the same. Often they're not going down. Now there, there are other factors that can, that can bring rents down in, in other ways, but you're absolutely, you're absolutely accurate with that. And it's something that a lot of people don't realize. There's another thing that you said that I, I want to just pull apart for people a little bit. You talked about refinancing every two to three years. Now what most people do when it comes to a bank, first of all, they go to a bank rather than a broker when they're thinking about purchasing homes. Yeah. And then I see you're nodding your head. So you're like, no way, don't do that. Um, and then and then the, 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 second, the second part is that people think that a five-year term on a mortgage is just the way it's done. They're always fighting for the minimum interest payment possible. I see you guys shaking your heads again. So, so explain that for the audience. So um, for us, what we do is we can still get into a variable five-rate term. Um, in order to refinance, uh, the, it costs us three months interest payments to break that term. So um, in our market, say we have a property that's worth $400,000 and the, um, the appreciation in our area has been between 15 to 20% year over year for the last three to four years. So even if it was say 10%, then every year I'm increasing, you know, the first year we'll get $40,000 in um, equity. The next year it would be a little bit more than $40,000. So why would I wait five years to be able to pull that equity out and also get that going to work? So the way that uh, Jamie and I see it is every dollar that's left sitting in a bank, not working is costing us money. Okay, so there's there's a concept that is 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 moving around that's that's popular among people who understand money and investing that a lot of people don't, and that's called the velocity of money, yes. um, which yes. is what what you're talking about, and that is that that if you can move money faster, which is what banks do, if you, if yes. you move money faster, you actually do a lot better because you can you can make that money work for you rather than it sitting idle, and that's exactly what you're talking about. Okay, so we've talked about real estate, and and that's I I, I could talk about real estate all day long. Um, having said that, I want to talk about just a money mindset. One thing that I've heard you guys say is that within two to three years, you've completely changed your mm -hmm. retirement plans. You've completely changed how you're living life. And with that, one of the factors was coaching um, and in paying for education. I want to talk about some other things there though. What, what other factors were really important for you to understand more about money, to understand uh, the, these concepts? What needed to happen for you guys to change your understanding of money? So I would say the biggest, the biggest hurdle that I had was um, the very first real estate conference that we were sitting in. The presenter actually said to us, to be an investor, you need to learn to be comfortable with being highly leveraged. And I was in panic mode at that moment. 
So I'm the person that pays my bills before they come in. You know, I didn't want any debt. I wanted to pay the mortgage down. I had that mindset going into real estate. So it took a while for us to, to shift that mindset, even Jamie, yeah. and really wrap our heads around um, using other people's money um, to become wealthy. So when we talk about other people's money, mostly we're referring to the bank's money. Mm. So being able to access funds from the bank to purchase real estate or accessing those funds to lend out to other investors for their projects and earning excellent rates of return, you know, anywhere between like 14 to 25% annually on our money. So um, that was a big mindset shift for us when it came to finances. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I mean, and even just in the first conference we went to sitting there and realizing how much you can make off a rental property, like what the returns are on yes. your money. It blew us away. It blew us away. And, you know, once you get to a certain point, you don't need to work anymore with those mm -hmm. returns from the properties that are just sitting there making you money. Yeah. Okay. So. So, so part of that comes back to education, that you needed to understand something in a different way, uh, which is incredibly important. Um, part of the mindset that I heard you guys talking about is that you, you had like this, this squirreling away saving mindset, that that was going to be the key, and that un understanding how to utilize debt was really important. Now, again, my guess is that a lot of people listening right now are like, Mark and this couple are, are, are completely off their rockers. They're talking about 14 to 24% returns, which is so risky. And they're talking about having more debt. What is going on? Please explain how you cover risk, how you mitigate risk in these situations. Yep. So, um, I mean, we, over the last two and a half years, have built up quite a network of other investors. And... Um, you know, we, I guess we do have a bit of the, the luxury, so to speak, of having investors who are very good friends of ours that own 10, 20, 50, $100 million worth of real estate. So one of the things that we do is we leverage um, each other's money, so financial institution money. So Jamie and I can borrow off of our line of credit, say $50,000, um, and we can lend that to one of those other investors for their projects and they pay us say 14% on that money while we're only paying the bank say on that money. So we're actually making 10% off of the bank's money. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's such a, again, an important concept. Um, so you're, you're doing some hard money lending. Please yes. explain to people what that is. What is hard money lending? So we're basically lending people money for um, usually renovations on properties. So they're buying a property, they need to fix it up. And before they can refinance it, they need that money, you know, to do all the renovations and stuff like that. So we'll rent, lend out the, the money for them short term. Sometimes it's only three months, six months, something like that. Um, the rates that we're, they're paying seem like a lot, but when you only have to pay it for three or six months, it, it really doesn't affect their deal. They can get the refinance done quickly once the renos are done, pay us back, and uh, everybody's a winner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, now I, can, I can see people kind of looking at that and going, okay, but that's good for you guys, but I don't, yeah. I don't understand the deal. How, how does somebody, if, if you were to tell somebody or recommend somebody 
um, starting into real estate or starting into investing, what are some things that you would recommend for them if they wanted to grow in this? So um, the biggest thing that really helped us grow was being able to connect with other investors and learn what each other are doing. So um, JB and I were, were sort of the lone wolf, so to speak, when we started. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to work with anybody else. We were very shy, you know. Um, and then it wasn't until we really started to network with other people that we learned that investors are great at helping one another. Yep. <laughs> so they are not, you know, competitive. They want to see everybody win in their deals. So part of that was other investors teaching us about using other people's money. So the great thing is that most of our loans are, um, they, they are unsecured. You can do secured loans. Um, but those loans have really uh, sort of catapulted us, I would say, to a whole nother level. Because if we have those loans out and people, sorry, if we have th that money borrowed from other lenders, the banks don't see that money as debt because it's on uh, usually on a promissory note, unsecured. So that allows us to be working on, you know, multiple projects at a time without the bank, without it affecting our credit limit, really. So, and then as soon as we refinance, we're just, you know, paying the, the loan back and everybody's happy and everybody wins. So I think that was the key. That was the one key to really getting us to where we wanted to be in the investing world. Leslie, you've just explained something that I think probably sounds really complex to people. But I, again, I want to break this down a little bit because the, the, what you guys are sharing and we've learned in just a few short years is incredible. Um, this, yeah. is, this is often what people it takes people a long time to understand or they grew up in the right household or whatever it was. Um, and, and listen, if, if you if you can do that, be born to the right family, I recommend that every day. Having said yeah. that, if, if you haven't been and you don't have that choice, then then I recommend the same thing you guys are saying, that that's get yourself educated as much as possible. So one thing you were saying is you talked about secured versus unsecured debt. And this is something we've talked about on the podcast before. Quickly explain the difference between secured and unsecured debt for people. And what are the advantages or disadvantages? Yeah. So secured debt are, are mortgages that are put on properties or things so that, um, you know, to guarantee they're going to get their money back. Usually that's at a lower interest rate, but can really affect qualifying for mortgages, stuff like that, because it's, you know, it's extra debt that the bank sees and they don't want to deal with it. Um, the unsecured is obviously not secured to any property. Um, that's why it's typically a higher interest rate. And I mean, for us, it's safe because we know the people we're lending to, right? Yeah. We're not lending to strangers. Um, if we were lending to strangers, obviously we would want a secured um, product, but we're lending people we know, we can trust. We know they have lots of properties. You know, if something went wrong, they could pay us back by selling a property or, or such. Um, so we feel comfortable with that and we'd like to get the high interest rates mm -hmm. and you know we're doing the same thing right we, we know all these people that are lending us money and uh, we like to see them make some good money too right and although we don't have it secured to our property um we do use promissory notes that say if something went wrong that they could put a mortgage on our property to get their money mm -hmm. back yeah yeah so really really quickly explain what a promissory note is for people yeah Promissory notes are my favorite thing ever. Um, <laughs> so, 
So a promissory note, um, I actually have two of them sitting right in front of me, actually. <laughs> um, so basically it says um, that uh, these ones we are actually the borrowers on. Uh, it basically says who the lender is, who the borrower is, the timeline on the lend, and um, you know how much they're lending, how much the interest payments are going to be every month or for the term. Um, and then we have clauses in our promissory notes like Jamie was talking about, that if we miss any payments, you can secure that property or that loan onto one of our properties. And we actually um, typically provide addresses of our properties so that the, uh, the lenders can feel comfortable. Um, the key to using promissory notes though, is that you don't over leverage yourself through them. So we stay within our uh, safe range of only uh, borrowing so much unsecured debt so that if something did happen, that we could sell our properties and pay everybody back without an issue. So um, promissory notes do not have to be uh, signed by, uh, or sorry, notarized. Um, we can sign them ourselves or if the lender chooses, they can be notarized and they are fully enforceable. They're written up by lawyers. They're reviewed by lawyers. They're, they're fully, fully enforceable. Okay. So I'm going to explain this in a different way because Jamie, you did a good job of explaining secured versus unsecured debt. Um, this is how I explained it to my kids. My kids wanted, to, one kid wanted to borrow some money from another one in order to make an investment. And so what we did, I think my kids were like six and four at the time. And so the, the six-year-old wanted to borrow money from the, her four-year-old brother. And I said, we are going to write up a contract. This is going to be secured debt. What that means is that you're borrowing, uh, sorry, the, the younger wanted to borrow money from the older. So I said, I said, uh, my, my son, my four-year-old, I said, listen, you are borrowing money from your sister. What are you, what's going to happen if you don't pay her back? Yep. And what they came up with, with something that was of equal or greater value was his Lego collection. Yeah. So, so if he, if she didn't, if he didn't pay her back within a certain amount of time, she got his Lego collection and that's all secured debt is, right? You, you're, you're giving some collateral so that if, if something is needed, uh, if, if somebody doesn't pay back money, that, uh, you will get something in return. And typically, like you said, the, the interest rates are lower. So you're going to pay uh, less interest rate because it's secured it, it's a little less risk in there. And the other side of it is that it shows up in financial institutions so that you have less borrowing power now. Whereas unsecured debt, you typically you receive a lot more. You talked about 14 to 24%. Um, if, you're, if you're hard money lending, it's a shorter period of time usually. Uh, th even though it's unsecured, you can take legal action, promissory notes, everything else is legally binding. And, and you, you, you've got a lot more options with those because you can keep borrowing money in different ways. And again, it comes back to that velocity of money, but there's a key here. And the key that I heard you guys talk about, um, I think Leslie mentioned this, was it's important to be in the right community. It's important to develop a community around you where, where people are trusting each other and investing in each other. Accurate? Is that accurate? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So. Uh, we only lend to um, people that we we absolutely know that they actually own the properties. You know, um, it is so easy now nowadays to find out exactly uh, how many properties somebody owns, when they bought it. You know, it's just a, a simple search that any realtor can do for you. Your lawyers can do. 
Um, but at the same time, we um, also, sorry, <laughs> my little pug here is saving our life from people walking. Um, you know, at the same time, uh, when people are borrowing money from us, we actually take, or sorry, when they are, are uh, lending money to us, we actually t can take them to the projects that they're lending on. Mm -hmm. So we show their money at work. Yeah, so they know exactly what we're doing with their money. They can see the how they're going to be making their returns. Mm -hmm. They can see the progress. So being in a community like that is really, really quite important. Okay. So I'm going to ask this question again, and maybe we'll, we can finish off with a, this, and I've got one other question for you guys. But um, if somebody wanted to understand, and again, this isn't necessarily about real estate. It's, it's about understanding money and community and, and getting into this community. What, what would be the first step somebody could take in order to grow themselves and no matter where they're at, how to grow themselves and become part of a community like this? You said that you, you both struggled with some shyness at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. The, the uh, biggest thing that anybody can do is start going to meetup groups, real estate investor meetup groups. Every city has them now. Mm -hmm. um, Jamie and just in Jamie and our network, there, there is so many people out there that are, are running them. I can think of like eight of them right off the top of my head. So start going to all those and then um, talking to people. Don't like, don't be like Jamie and I were where they were shy in the background yeah. um, and not talking to anybody. You have to make sure that you are actually connecting with everyone. And if you see somebody there that's talking, a presenter, and they're giving all this great information, go up and introduce yourself. Mm, mm. Those are the people that you want to really, really learn from. Learn as much as you can. Um, the other thing that we do is we listen to podcasts about real estate all the time. We are podcast junkies. I'm not going to lie. Um, and um, we also... Uh, follow some of the, the brightest real estate people on um, social media. Okay, so maybe, and that was actually my last question, was what, what are some podcasts, what are some books, what are some movies, what are some, what, what are things that have influenced you greatly and maybe you could point out to other people? So um, we, well, Rich Dad, everybody should read all of Robert Kiyosaki's books. Yep. Right? Yep, that's definitely influenced us. Yes. Um, we love Grant Cardone, um, love him or hate him. I think he's got a great message. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Napoleon Hill has some, some great reading out there. Um, we also, you know, as far as podcasts go, really anything real estate related. Canadian real estate is the biggest thing for us. If there's a Canadian real estate podcast out there, start listening to it. Hmm. Um, even some of the U.S. ones we still listen to because they still have great messages. So we do listen to the rich dad ones still. Yeah, yep. yeah, quite often. Yeah. Um, and not just uh, real estate, like we, uh, you know, I have Gary Vee um, online, uh, Tony Robbins. So anything that really kind of puts you into that mindset of you can do anything, mm. believe me, you can do anything. I would have never, mine and Jamie's goal when we went into our first real estate event three years ago was to have one door by purchase one door a year until we retired yep 
so you, now, you've done a little bit better than that with 73 doors in three years a little bit yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that, so, that's so so excellent so again, again try to summarize this a little bit uh this is how i've heard what you've said number one Somebody's got to be willing to learn and grow. So start exploring, start looking into things, listen to podcasts. They're free. People, people are putting out information there for free. So watch, listen, learn, read, do those kinds of things. But as people are continuing to grow and in meetup groups, as people are continuing to grow, there's this other component that you've talked about with really make sure that you're getting investing, investing into a community. So maybe if there's edu an educational component, maybe if you're paying for coaching or paying for, um, an educational experience, make sure that that's done in, in such a way that there's there's follow-up with a group of other learners afterwards. Is that something you'd recommend? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing is that anybody can do this, right? Mm. So the biggest thing is that, um, well, I, we have a good example, um, a bit of a shameless plug, but um, our son is 14, and uh, yesterday he took possession of his first five plex. Um, <laughs> With other people's money. Yep. So he, uh, you know, he's he's learned. If a fourteen-year-old can learn what we do, and uh, fully understand it, then anybody can do this. Yeah. So he found all the investors himself. Um, you know, raised four hundred thousand dollars in a in a couple days, because he's he's been around investors. He knows the language. He knows what we do. And the more comfortable you become around those types of uh, friendships that you develop and you really start to immerse yourself in that uh, social group, mm -hmm. you can do anything. Yeah, I would agree with that completely, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you both of you for, for doing this. I really appreciate you being willing. And this, this again, speaks to the investing community that you guys are willing to, to help others um, with, with no massive benefit to yourselves. This, this is something that you were, you were asked to do and you were happy to do it and give some of your time to, to help other people. Uh, having said that, and I, I didn't tell you this, but I, I'd love to promote you guys in any way, shape or form that I can. What, how can somebody contact you? Uh, where, what would be valuable as far as if somebody wants to contact you and maybe do business with you or something like that? Um, how would they get a hold of you? Yeah, so we uh, we have a website. Um, it's uh, www.collardproperties.ca. So it's C-O-L-L-A-R-D properties.ca. So, um, you know, anybody can go on there, book a call with us if they want, talk about their, you know, their investment journey, where they're at. And um, there is some, there's some fun stuff on that website too, just to kind of show where where we've been at, but yeah, we love to connect with anybody who's looking to get into real estate or anybody who's already in real estate. So yeah, give us a call. We'd love to chat. Excellent. So again, this is, this is, I don't want people to, to, um, undervalue what you've just said, Leslie, uh, in the end, what, what Jamie and Leslie are doing is, is making themselves available to contact and you could be part of this group that, that they are part of. Um, if, if you are willing now, again, here's the caution with this. Don't contact Jamie and Leslie if you have no intention of helping other people. That, that's a huge part of these communities. So if, if you are willing to invest in people, if you're willing to give your time and energy and you're willing to learn and grow, what I've found is that most people, including myself, including almost anyone, are willing to give you a lot of time and energy if they see you growing because we love seeing other people grow in these areas as well. Oh, absolutely. We love it. Like if I can help somebody become 
you know, free from their nine to five job in two years, like Jamie and I did, I am all, all over that. Everybody should be able to live the life that they want. That is excellent. Well, thank you so much. We will put your contact information in the, in the podcast notes here so that people can reach out to you. Um, is, there, is there anything else that you'd say to people if, if, they, if they are wanting to learn more or grow in any way, shape or form? Yeah, uh, do it. That's, that's our biggest thing. Take the first step mm-hmm. and the next steps will fall in place. Yeah. You just need to take that first step and keep focused on your goals. That's it. It's really that simple. Hmm. Yeah. So goals, again, we could go into more and more little rabbit holes here. We're talking about goals, talking about taking action, uh, that that's experience is going to be such a, such a good teacher compared to reading books or, or going to meetup groups or whatever it is. Yeah. Perfect. Again, thank you so much, both of you for doing this today. Yes. Thank you. you. Thank you.